0: and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We are back with Sylvia burgos Toughness today as she shares why education is a key ingredient in growing both our organic movement and our businesses. You don't have to be the ultimate expert to teach, just share from where you are, she advises. And learn how practical advice can really help, like how slow cookers dry out grass-fed meat and you might want to try an Instapot, she says. Sylvia grew up in a food-loving Puerto Rican community in the South Bronx, and today is the farmer at Bull Brook Keep, She's a leader in the organic food movement, including producing and co-hosting Deep Roots Radio, and serves on the board of Moses. Sylvia and her husband David raise 100% grass-fed beef in Amory, Wisconsin, and she's worn many hats before then, including being a television reporter and working in public relations, all skills that partner well with her farm business today. We are back with Sylvia Burgos-Tofnes, taking things back to her farm this segment of Bullbrook Keep. And her passion for both the farm, but more importantly, education. And I always love seeing your posts about all the workshops you're doing and always like grumbling that I'm what, like eight hours from the farm? I <laughs> <'cause, okay, laughs> really want to go to her bread baking workshop. Look at these beautiful things she makes. But for you, and we talked about this in a in the first segment with you about your grandmother and her influence on you and the appreciation of bringing people together through food, it, it When I see these workshops, I'm like, you're channeling your grandma in that, too, of not just bringing people together through food, but teaching people. Yes. And
1: that's so much fun. Um, When it comes to teaching, I always think uh, you got to start from wherever you are. All right.
0: So you don't need to be this expert. You never claim to be this
1: this whatever. (laughs) Nobody needs to be an expert. We just start from wherever we are and we pick up from here. So people are, are free to come in with absolutely no experience and feel great about it. Because communicating our values isn't just doing it verbally or in print, but actually doing it viscerally with our hands. And so it's so much fun to get uh, people around the table. And when we built our house, when we built our farmhouse, there was no farmhouse on our our land. When we built it, we built it with a a teaching kitchen right off the bat. So I could get five to six to seven people all having the opportunity to have hands-on in whatever kind of cooking class I was holding. So we do artisan breads. And the whole idea behind my artisan bread classes, and we do them on sourdoughs, and I have another segment of classes that are done on, um, they're called poolish-based preferments. In other words, the stuff that you've got to use in order to make focaccia and pizza and ciabatta. The fun thing is, is... Um, that we get to be together for four and a half hours or more. Bread takes time. Huh? Bread takes time.
0: We're bread a, builds community.
1: <laughs> we're not in a rush. We share a, a lunch, a, a light lunch together. I make food for them, uh, endless cups of coffee or tea or whatever the beverage is, and loads of conversation. And people leave with a sense of, I made a new friend. I learned how to make some bread. I took home some bread. They're nourished, I would say. Yeah, and, they, and they've experienced it. I mean, it's one thing to read a book about how to make bread, but as you know, as a baker, Lisa, sometimes you look at a picture and you, you think, I don't understand how that's supposed to feel. I don't understand how that thing's supposed to smell. And not can
0: be so intimidating, at least for me. Do you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, and we get to actually make bread and slap it together and figure out why some stuff works and why some stuff doesn't work. And to me, it's so much fun after classes, and this can happen months after classes. My students will start posting their their bread that they've oh, made. Oh, that must
0: be so rewarding! And it
1: is. It's so much fun. It's, it's so much fun. And so I've got a. I, I schedule these classes usually throughout the the late winter and into spring. I've got one coming up now uh, in a couple of weeks, and I'm just thrilled. I'm just look so looking forward to we have men in our classes as well as women how do you do the outreach for your class or is that all
0: social media connected it's usually
1: your- social media i do have some students who just tell one another and then they they show up um but a lot of it is social media i just put out uh you know tweets i put out facebook posts and say okay here are the classes coming up and this is what we're going to do but i also create videos about some of the classes that i've held Or some of the processes that I'm involved in. So that people get an idea of like, oh, what's going to happen when we go there? And I've now extended it so that I'm doing uh, classes on um, how to cook pastured beef or pastured meats. Because lots of people are kind of afraid of it.
0: Yeah. I don't know what to do. Well, it's a little bit of different technique or way too many people cooking it too dry. And there you have it. Yeah. There you have it. And then they get disgruntled and...
1: And discouraged. And they think, wow, I spent all this money and... I didn't get any good beef out of this. So um, the classes and my approach is to offer um, ways to cook it so that you can do it if you've got the time over seven hours in your oven or using pressure cookers. Oh, that covers it. Yes, it does. And I've done the research uh, because it mattered to me when I first started looking at pressure cooking. Boy, does pressure cooking really hurt the the nutrition in this food i mean you're you're talking about high temperatures over short periods of time sure. but there so happens to be um research that's available and i've looked at it and i've looked at the posts about it but then i went to the, back to the original reports and have found that no you don't lose any nutrition worth anything maybe one percent and that'd be like the whole instapot thing Absolutely. Because I think that's phenomenal for people. It's amazing. And so how do you cook pastured meats in an Instapot or on a stovetop pressure cooker? Um, What is the research that says, hey, you're not going to lose nutrition on this so that people feel good about that and they can feel uh, assured that they're doing something good for their families? Um, And I'll also provide the instructions for doing it slowly. Uh, I also do provide some some of the the uh, stats that say how much nutrition do you use do you lose when you cook things with steam and with boiling and with crock pots. And um, one of the things that you have to watch out for using a slow cooker, which can dry out meat, is that slow cookers unfortunately have not been made usually with enough good regulation on the temperature. and so they tend to be too hot. Which can work for pork, but tends not to work for beef.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, so there uh, the the regulation on slow cookers is notoriously variable. That they makes can, sense. I have three, and they're all different. <laughs> and they can be wonderful. Absolutely. I mean, I've got three of them also. Um, but the question is, are they reliable, or are they even consistent? So. There have been other companies, you know, not me, but there are uh, people who have done the, the um, testing of slow cookers. And there, are, there is one brand, I think, that actually does it to a certain temperature. So you can look online to find it. Um, so anyway, I offer a number of different ways of, of being able to cook your food so that you can do it when you're busy. You know, lots of women work, whether it's on the farm or off the farm. And we need to be able to have methods that allow us to get good food into our family's stomachs without being chained to any one particular form of cooking. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And I'll be doing, uh, hopefully, some classes even at a a local food co-op up in northern Wisconsin.
0: Because that's a real win-win for you, isn't it, of probably some of your most loyal customers come from your workshop or vice versa, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, they do. They do. And I belong to a number of groups where uh, where like the Weston A. Price Foundation's uh, St. Paul, yeah. Minneapolis chapter is filled Can you talk
0: with- What is Weston Price with? Yes, yeah. I will. The
1: Weston A. Price Foundation is a nonprofit based on the research of, uh, initially research of uh, a dentist by the name of Weston A. Price, who, who traveled the world um, looking at people's teeth and their, their health and found a correlation to their diets. So the more they, the, 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 this particular community was uh, faithful to a traditional diet, the healthier they were not only as far as teeth was concerned, but their entire bodies were concerned. And it didn't matter what part of the world he was looking at. So it could have been Inuits or people in the Amazon. And he found that correlation. So as you might imagine, people in cold climates and warm climates have very different diets. Yet the closer those diets were to a traditional diet, the more healthy the people were. And so the Weston A. Price Foundation is, um, has chapters, about 600 or more all over the world, focusing on where do you find good food and how do you cook it for the best health of the family. And its findings and its recommendations are based on reams of research scientific research from all over the world. And so from them, um, th- their research is looking into the connections of certain health, healthy diets and uh, Alzheimer's, thyroid issues, uh, hormonal issues, growth issues in children. Um, it's an interesting place to go to for really um, stark information that's substantiated.
0: We have very nice teeth, by the way. I've never (laughs) really noticed that before, but you're talking about that traditional Puerto Rican diet. Well, good for you. (laughs) But I I didn't know that about the roots of the foundation.
1: Yeah. So I grew up actually with a fairly traditional Puerto Rican diet, which was a lot of pork, rice and beans, uh, fruits and vegetables. And that was about it. So all the meats had all the fats on them. There was no fear of fat (laughs) when I was growing up at all. Lots of whole milk. Because that's what we had at that time. Sure. But it's uh,
0: yeah. So something we we got scared of unnecessarily. uh,
1: Yes, for lots of political and business reasons. We were pushed to different diets in the United States over the last 75 years. So... Part of what I'm doing in in, uh, the communication and in these classes is helping to just make people aware that, yes, you can eat eggs. Yes, you can eat fat. Whole milk is actually good for you. But to make them aware that there is science available to substantiate it so that they can examine it and make their own decisions. Um, And a lot of my education and a lot of the, the, um, the radio show is about that. Here's what we know. Now, listen, you can hear this and make your own decisions about both how to farm, because we have a lot of ranchers and farmers who are among the people that I interview, but a lot of consumer advocates and cooks and authors and cookbook authors. So people make their decisions. And I think that's really derived from my public relations background, where um, as a public relations practitioner and executive over... You know, three decades, it was about telling the truth. So, if, and I was a consultant for many years, and if somebody approached me and said, Well, I'd like you to do this because I want to kind of be sly about something, I would tell them, Go find somebody else. I'm willing to handle crisis, and I did handle crisis situations for many companies over many, many years. But the bottom line is, we got to get to the truth on this. There, there's got to be the truth because that's the only way to get through the crisis is to get through it with truth. Then you recover on the other side.
0: That's what I love about your approach. You're not you're not preaching. You're not even telling people what to think. It's just here are options. Here is research. Here's how I do it. Ask me questions. And that's empowering. Yeah, you get to make up your own mind. You have to.
1: And I think that one of the things that... um people just sometimes are very unaware of is how much they're being inundated by information in the advertising world that is influencing how they
0: think and they may not be fully aware of it. I'm laughing because we have that discussion all the time around family dinner tables from both sets of parents and in-laws of of the they, that they said (laughs) something and we can never get them to Clarify who they was, but they was exactly who you're talking about the money bottom line and the ads and the influencers versus the facts. So, thank you for getting that message out there and more importantly, for encouraging others to share their story as they go and for sharing yours. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverist, with the Moses In Her Boots Project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kivrist of techsocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.